The second response to God and all he's done for us. That's the title of this series, The Response. I spoke last week about being a rapid response unit. What is my response in turn to God after all he's done for us? Amen? I said last week how that the church ought to be a rapid response unit, always ready, full of zeal and passion to serve God and to fulfill his will in our lives. And so I must ask myself the question this morning, what is my response time like? What is my response attitude like? Do I really appreciate all that God has done for me? And if so, what then is my response? And two weeks ago, we looked at having an attitude of gratitude. Who remembers? Who remembers all the key points to that sermon? Yeah. <laughs> You're saying yes, but I don't believe you. Yeah. Look at your notes to remember that. But basically, we were thinking about, you know, the leper, the 10 lepers that came to Jesus and only one of them turned back to give gratitude to Jesus. And Jesus said, well, where are the nine? I thought I healed 10 lepers and there's only one came back. And so embodied in that leper was this attitude of gratitude that we all must display, amen? But I think there's no other response that gives more glory to God than when we begin to understand and fully grasp and walk in the righteousness, walk in the maximum effect of the righteousness he has won for us on the cross at Calvary, amen? We heard it through the prophetic word this morning that we are accepted, we are blameless. Wow. He said, I'm not sure if that applies to me. I want to tell you, that's what the Bible says in the book of Ephesians. We heard it from the Bible this morning. You are blameless. God doesn't view you through your performance. He views you through what Christ has done. And so it does God no greater honor when we choose to walk in that, when we embrace that. I can even feel some religion being stirred up this morning. Say, that's too good to be true. I do not really quite believe that. But you know, the Bible says that God views us. The Bible, we heard this morning how the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God has made him, that's Jesus, to be sin for us, for Kenny Brandy. You put your name in the us there so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So God has made Christ a sin offering. He's transferred all the sin of the world into him so that we can in exchange have his Righteousness. That's awesome this morning, isn't it? It still blows my mind. My natural man cannot grasp that. It's just too high. It's just amazing, isn't it? And so I want to look at a few scriptures this morning. Romans 3 is the first one we're going to look at. But before we do, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you so much for the Bible. Your pure, holy word. Our Holy Spirit, we sense your presence amongst us today. As we come to your word, we're praying that even as I, as a frail human vessel, attempt to open up and speak for these few brief moments on perhaps one of the biggest and most important subjects in the Bible, we pray that you will, for these next few brief moments, speak into our hearts, anoint both preacher and hearer to absorb what your spirit wants to say to us. Change us, transform us, shape us, and mold us, conform us into the image of Christ. We can't do it, Lord, but your Holy Spirit can. So this morning, we surrender to you, to your word, we bow before you. Come and have your way, in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Then open your Bibles or read with us on the screen to Romans, 20, Romans 3, verse 21 to 25, which says this. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. That's us. 
For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation through faith in His blood. Mark that phrase there, through faith in His blood. Why? To demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at this present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And may God add his blessing to his already anointed word this morning. Amen. A response. What is it this morning? As I've said before, we can do God no greater honor than to walk in the fullness of the righteousness that he has provided. I know so many believers today who are walking about trying to serve God, trying to be a Christian with this heavy black cloud of judgment hanging over their heads. They know that they're saved, but they just have this nagging at the back of their conscience. Do I really meet the standard? Do I really fulfill God's demands? Is God really pleased with me? Is he really 100% totally pleased and happy with me? Does he view my faults? Does he view my failures? And many Christians today are living life as if Jesus hadn't went to the cross. It's almost as if they kind of believe he went to the cross, but you know, some Christians, by the way they live, you think he stayed in the grave. For other Christians, they sort of believe that Jesus died and rose again, but by the way, some of them might live. It's almost as if like Jesus staggered out of the tomb you know, with a few teeth missing and his hair all ruffled up and his clothes full of holes and, you know, thinking, oh, that was hell. I hope I don't have to go through that again. But we know that's not how Jesus rose, amen? The Bible says, Jesus said, I have the keys of death and hell. I am he who was dead, but now is alive forevermore. All authority has been given unto me, where? In heaven and in earth. We serve a resurrected Savior this morning, Amen. And in the gospel, I don't even know if I've got time to tackle the half of what I want to say this morning. We're in for a long one this morning. Two hours at least. Don't worry, I'm only kidding. The tied up in the gospel, the Bible says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, to the Jew first, then to the Greek. For in it a righteousness is revealed. From faith to faith, just as it is written, for the just shall live by faith. So Paul says, in this gospel, there's power. Amen. The gospel's not a man-made message. The gospel's a supernatural message. Amen. The gospel has dynamite in it, dynamis, power. So it's a really powerful message. The gospel is not just like a few bedtime stories that we tell our kid about some good things that Jesus did. Although Jesus did a lot of good things and they do make good bedtime stories. I know it because I use them sometimes and sometimes my versions are a bit different from the Bible. But um, don't accuse me of heresy and start stoning me, please now. But the gospel is a powerful supernatural message. Paul says in Galatians, I received it from God by divine revelation. I didn't receive it from man. So the gospel, you see, is full of power. Amen. Resurrection power is in the gospel. I like to say it this way. The same power that was in the event is in the preaching. Amen. The same power that was in the event is in the word. When you get up in the morning, the devil takes notice. And especially when you get to start confessing this word. Amen. I'm telling you, it's pure dynamite. The devil starts to back up when he sees you pick this word up and confess it in the morning. Because the same power that took place in the event resides in the message, in the word. Amen. 
And so the gospel is really powerful. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed. I'm unashamed. Are you unashamed of the gospel this morning? He says, for it is the power of God and the salvation. And he says, wrapped up in this gospel. And what is the gospel? It's good news. It's good news. The word gospel comes from a, a, the Greek word evangelion. And the same word was used of a messenger who would return from the battlefield to go back to the city with the good news that the victory had been won. Amen? That's what the word was used for back in, in Greek times, uh, Ro Roman times. And that's the word that they chose to use for the gospel. Because the gospel is good news. Amen? Amen. I'll try that again. I say the gospel is good news, glad tidings. Actually, the word is glad tidings. And in a world full of bad news, we've got good news to bring to people. Can somebody say amen? amen? And so what is the gospel? Well, let me just open this up just a wee bit more. Because Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, he said, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again, and that on the third, on, on the third day according to the Scriptures. Paul says this is the gospel. This is the gospel, that Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. Come on, help me this morning. What did he do? He died, he was buried, and he rose again. You see, I don't know much. I might not be pretty smart like the preacher, but I know this. Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. You know, people want to study all sorts of things today. He said, preach to me about the end times. I like to hear about the end times. That's called eschatology, the study of the end times. Everybody loves to hear about that. And some people like to study ecclesiology. That's the study of the church and history of the church and then other people, the Spirit, Holy Spirit people, they like to study pneumatology. That's the things of the Holy Spirit. And some people, you can't get them away from the cross and all that Jesus has done. That's soteriology, the study of salvation and all the rest of it. But I'll tell you, I like good old gospelology. Amen. Because I'll tell you something. If you know the gospel, then you know that Christ died. You see, I might not be as clever as you, but I know this. Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again from the grave. And that's all you need to know. Can somebody say amen? amen? And you see, there's power in that message. There's power in that event. The devil backs up when he hears you start to speak the truths of the gospel. Have you ever noticed how even in the world today, when world leaders sort of prop up and it comes to light that they've got a nuclear bomb? What about that North Korean dude? What's his name? Kim, Kim Jong, somebody help me. Kim Jong, Young? Kim Jong, Young. Did I say that? I sounded... I sounded North Korean myself when I said that just now. Anyway, he walks about with his funny suit. His, suits, his suit's a bit too short. I don't know who his tailor is. But his, his trousers are a wee bit half-mast, if you know what I mean. And he's got a funny haircut. I think he needs to come to Comeo and get his haircut. It's like, it's a funny old haircut he's got. I'll tell you, but this funny dude, when he starts to strut about, and the whole world stage is watching him because he says, I've got a nuclear bomb. People start to take notice when you say you've got a nuclear bomb, don't they? They'll let you do what you want, but the minute they know you've got a nuclear bomb, it's like, <gasps> they start to take notice. America takes notice. Russia takes notice. The UK takes notice. How much more so for you with the nuclear power, the resurrection power, if you like, the gospel that you possess, amen? See, I'm locked and loaded this morning, amen? I'm locked and loaded with plenty of ammunition. With intent to supply. I'm intending to supply this stuff. Amen. I'm not keeping it to myself. Witness about it. Tell people about it. Yeah. Tell people about Christ. Tell them about the resurrection and the righteousness of Christ. 
Have you ever noticed how good it feels to tell somebody about Jesus? You know why that is? Because when you tell the good news in the gospel and you share it with somebody, Jesus confesses you before the Father. You say, that felt good. That's because your name was spoken in heaven. Amen? Amen. He says, he that confesses me before men, the same will I confess before my Father. I'm getting sidetracked this morning. But many churches and many Christians are living under this cloud of condemnation and guilt. And preachers almost think like, we'll speak about grace. We'll speak about God's grace and the goodness of God's grace and the magnitude of God's grace. But let's be careful because if we give people too much grace, they might just go and do what they want and they might just fall into deep, gross sin. So we'll better level things out and we'll preach a whole lot of law to sort of even things up and temper this, this grace message. But you know, the gospel of grace is not for us to tamper with. We can't change the gospel because of our fear that people will do whatever they want. I don't know about you, but I didn't need a license to sin. Nobody needed to give Kenny Brandy a license to go and do what he wanted. I was blooming good enough at doing that myself. In fact, I won a degree of sinning. I graduated at the sin school with my heart flat cap and my robe and everything. I got a certificate. And I even invented new sins that other people had never heard of before. I was so blooming good at it. And why are you looking at me so holy? Because you know what you're on about some of you. I saw you at the graduation ceremony. You were there as well. Because you see, it's true. You don't need a license to go and do it. But the glory and the beauty of the gospel is different from religion. Religion says, come to church, be good, read the Bible, obey, become holy. God will chip away at you. And then one day, as you run parallel to Jesus, you know, you might just get and achieve this holy, righteous status. And then one day you'll be united with Christ. But do you see the difference here? The beauty of God's grace is that immediately upon salvation, he takes the sinner and unites him with Christ. Amen. Come on. Are you glad to be united with Christ? You say, me? With all that I've done and all the things I've been through? Yes, you. When you believed in Jesus, he declared you justified. He acquitted you. No earthly court, as I said earlier on, is able to overturn the verdict. Not guilty. Righteous. Holy. Accepted. These are all labels that God speaks over your life this morning. Are you glad about that? I could stop right there. Some of you, some of you are saying, go and stop. Stop there. But... I tell you, that's good enough. No earthly court can overturn the verdict of heaven's judgment. Your sin was judged in Jesus. Your righteousness, was, his righteousness, was given to your account. When you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you became a new creation in Christ. Amen. I'm a new creation. What does that old song say? I, I am a new creation. No more in condemnation. Here in the grace of God I stand. We need to get that one, I think. Amen. I'll sing it with you. We sing it and then we walk out and then the cloud comes back and we feel, oh, unworthy. But God has declared you justified just as if you've never sinned. Look at what Ephesians says. Ephesians 4 verse 24, that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and through holiness. Amen. So when we get saved, we're not just born again, we become sons and daughters of God. During the prophetic time, we heard the scripture, John 1, verses 11 and 12. For he came unto his own, and his own received him not, that's Jesus. But to as many as believed in him, he gave the power or the right or the authority to become the children of God. So when we get born again, we're not just um, made new creations or born again, we're made children of God. So what happened to the old you? 
The old you was crucified with Christ. Yeah. Amen. You see, that old person, the person you were before you came to Calvary, was crucified, was, was taken care of with Christ at his cross. And you see, God didn't just repair the old man, as some religions teach. Come to church, read the Bible, do the lessons, obey what it says, and then slowly but surely we'll put you together and we'll repair you and we'll get you to that place. The Bible says immediately you're made a new creation. Look at what Jesus said. He says it better than anybody. He said, verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. Now Paul picks this truth up. I don't know if I've got the scripture for the screen, but it's Galatians 2 verse 20. Paul picks up the same truth. Listen to the words. He says this, Galatians 2 verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Get that, Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live, I, in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Can somebody say amen? Now this is beautiful. We've got to grasp this truth that Ephesians 2 verse 6 says, now that we are Christians, get this, I am seated together. Where? In heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I am seated this morning with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now you don't get this sort of talk in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because what the Gospels are are like a photograph of redemption. They tell you about what Jesus Christ's life was like. They give you the facts. Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived, grew up in Nazareth, born in a stable. Grew in favor and wisdom and stature amongst men. And, you know, at the age of 12 years old, he was in the temple and he grew and he amazed the religious people of his day. He blew their mind and he grew up. And then at the age of 30, he launched into his messianic ministry. And he went about calling men and women to himself. He taught them through parables. Raised them up and trained them. And then at the age of 33, he was crucified cruelly on that cross. We get the facts of what happened in the Gospels. We get a photograph a snapshot of redemption, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, a fourfold photograph of redemption. But you see, Paul's revelation of the gospel was different. Paul seemed to have all that excess teaching that Jesus ascended with, he downloaded to Paul. And so Paul uses all these sort of terminologies. We are seated together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Because where the Gospels were a picture of redemption, Paul gives us an x-ray of redemption. Amen. Paul sees what God saw, what the devil saw, what demons saw, what angels saw. Paul sees exactly what took place on that cross in my life and in your life. I love the songs we sing at Easter. They sing, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? It causes me to tremble. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? And the verses go on. Were you there when he raised up from the grave? Were you there when he rose up from the grave? And it goes on and so on and so forth. And you say, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Well, nope. I, I was not there. I was in Vralachy. I was fine. I, was, I didn't have anything to do with it. No. But you see, when God saw the cross, he saw me there. He saw you there. He saw all of us there at the cross because Jesus was taking upon himself the sin of you and me so that we could be that new person, that new creation made new in him. Amen. 
And so, you know, a photograph and an x-ray are the same picture, except the x-ray picks up stuff that the, the photograph doesn't really pick up. And Paul sees exactly what's taken place here through our redemption. And this is amazing. This is really, really cool when you think about it. William Barclay said this, man does not discover God. God reveals himself to man. And God's revelation system, that's why Paul said in the gospel there, he said, in this gospel, a righteousness is revealed. And he wants you and me to come to that same full revelation of what this righteousness is. See, sometimes we get saved and we make that decision for Christ and then we sit in the pew and we think everything will come automatically. But Paul says in the book of Ephesians, I pray to God that God might grant unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that the eyes of your understanding may be opened. You see, we can hear Bible verses. Anybody got a favorite Bible verse? What's your favorite Bible verse, Michael? You got a favorite Bible verse? Your favorite Bible verse? John, what's your, come on, somebody help me. You can see we're a very biblically literate congregation here. Come on. Uh, Angie, what's your favorite verse? Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Yeah. Just for you on Facebook Live, she's quoting the whole psalm there. She knows it because it's her favorite verse. Tracy, what's your favorite verse? I think I know it. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's like the whole Bible. Just the whole, the whole thing. Anybody, and uh, anybody else? Uh, Michael, what's your favorite Bible? Have you got, have you got a favorite? That I may know him in the power of his resurrection. Philippians 3.10. Amen. Jeff. Romans 8.1. He knows he can quote the whole thing. Because <laughs> he's been in Destiny College. He knows how to quote the whole thing. That's one of their requirements. To quote the whole thing. We know the problem is. That sometimes we know the verses so well. That we can miss the revelation that they come with. Because we become so familiar with him. You go, I, I know that. He's preaching in a verse I know. I, I know everything there is to know about that verse. I know that. Because sometimes we can give mental assent to biblical facts and we miss out on revelation knowledge. And that's why Paul said to the Ephesians, don't think all this stuff is just going to happen automatically because you're a Christian. He said, I pray that God would grant unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you know. And I've got the scripture down here. It's a great verse. Ephesians chapter 1, 17 onwards. I'll read it to you. He says that the, the, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints. Listen to this, it just goes on. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Do you see what I mean about an x-ray here? He's seeing things that the, gospel didn't, the gospels don't tell us. He's, telling, he's given us the x-ray. Verse 21 Verse 20, sorry, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in that which is to come. Listen to this. And he put all things under his feet and gave, to, gave him to be head 
over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, if we're content just to sit in the seats and maybe just vegetate and just say, okay, well, I'm a Christian and that's fine. You don't need the spirit of wisdom and revolution. To all those believers who are happy just to say, well, that's it. Okay, the deal is done. That's fine. Then you don't need the spirit of wisdom and revelation. But I don't know, know about you, but I want to know him more and more and more and more and more. I need to get out of Facebook and into the faith book, amen, or nose book as some people call it. It's so true, isn't it? Nosey. What's he doing? What's she doing? Listen, Get in the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Paul says, I pray that you might have it. To know all these things. Michael quoted Philippians 3 verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. You know, Paul wrote that verse 30 years after he'd been serving Jesus. He'd been serving Jesus for 30 years. And he still said, I want to know him more. I want to know more about this resurrection power that works within me, this dynamic gospel power. I want to know him more and more and more. It was progressive, it was onward. Paul says, I want more of Jesus. Do you want more of Jesus this morning? Come on, let's not be content. It's at the very heart of Paul's revelation. And so Paul tells us in chapter two of Ephesians, this is what's happened to you. You've been seated in heavenly places in Christ. You've got all these things now because of what Jesus has done. We were included in everything that God did to Christ. We were identified with him. We were made alive with him. We were raised together with him. We were seated together in heavenly places with him. Folks, this is not just theology. This is a reality. This is where little old Kenny Brandy stands, amen? And you as well, in Christ. So the gospel is dynamite. The gospel is the power of God. Can you see it this morning? And Paul says, in this gospel, a righteousness is revealed. Now in the first verse that we had up, Romans 3. I know this is not, not maybe your typical preachy message. It's more teachy this morning. But it's said there that God has set him forth to be a propitiation. I'll get tongue twisted. To be a propitiation through faith in his blood. A propitiation, some verses change that word to reconciliation. You know what reconciliation is? Have you ever fallen out with your spouse? We've never. Car I won't ask you, God. <laughs> Love more. Yeah. But, you know, maybe like if you fall out, you say a few things you shouldn't have said. And you do a few things you should have done. or You know, you acted in a certain way. And you know you need something to be the bridge builder. It could be a bouquet of flowers, a piece of jewelry, a box of chocolates, whatever it might be. But that piece, that thing is the reconciler. That's what's going to get you back into favor. Amen. You're going to... Two parties that are at loggerheads, two parties that are at loggerheads are now, the enmity is removed and the two are brought together. And that word propitiation that we saw a moment ago, some versions change that to reconciled. Reconciled simply means you're restored to favor with God and you're restored to fellowship with God, amen. That's what that word really means, you're restored to favor and fellowship. And Paul connects a righteousness, amen, through faith in his blood. Everybody say faith in the blood this morning. Faith in the blood. He uses this term. Now faith in the blood is a beautiful phrase. And it's synonymous in the Old Testament when they had to plead the blood of the lamb. They had to sprinkle the blood of the lamb. Who remembers the story in Exodus chapter 12 where Moses, God's servant, said to the people of Israel, you need to slay the lamb. It's going to be a perfect spotless lamb. Collect the blood in the basin and sprinkle it on the doorposts of your house. One, two, three. 
signifying the sign of the cross, foreshadowing what Jesus would do. And he said, you've got to apply that blood. It can't just stay in the basin. You can't just say that you've got faith in it. You've got to apply the blood, apply the blood. And so I found that through studying the scriptures and reading through, there's a, a connection here with through faith in the blood and applying the blood, or as some people say, plead the blood. I used to hear lots of old Pentecostal Christians using that phrase, I plead the blood, I plead the blood. And I used to think, well, are you pleading? You know? But, you know, plea is a legal term, isn't it? How do you plea? Guilty. Guilty as charged. <laughs> you can say not guilty now, praise God. How do you plea? Not guilty. Plea is a legal term. And I found that in the book of Isaiah, this is a great verse. If you'll follow me to this verse in Isaiah chapter 43, I think it is. 43, verses 25 to 26. Listen, to I love this verse. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance, says God. Let us contend together. Let us plea your case. Plea your case. I love that, that you may be acquitted. So this, this word plea is a legal term. And the Bible says it's through faith in the blood that we are made righteous, that we are justified, that we are set free. Now, what is the first thing Satan will do when he tries to get you down? He'll attack your righteousness. He will attack your righteous status. He will say, you're not righteous. Look at what you did last night. You're not righteous. Look at the company you keep. You're not righteous. Look at the thoughts you think. And then you can't operate to your full capacity. You maybe won't step out and pray for somebody that's sick because you feel unworthy. You maybe won't go and witness to somebody because you feel, well, look at me. I'm a bit of a failure myself. And so Satan wants to get you to focus on your failures, become sin conscious. Are you getting me this morning? By saying all this, I'm not nullifying the fact that we need to live and follow God and, you know, live righteous lives. But I'm, I'm on about how it comes. It does not come by us trying to live parallel to Jesus and be religious. We're already united with him, remember? And so the enemy will attack your righteousness. And I want to finish off and tailor this message and bring things to a kind of close by speaking just a few moments by this blood, the blood through which we are made righteous. The blood of Jesus is the grounds of our justification. It's the grounds of our righteousness. Amen? And this is almost like theology we're having this morning. I'm preaching or teaching myself happy today. These truths are so beautiful. But I want you to grasp this. If you don't grasp anything else I've said today, take this home with you. The blood has accomplished three things. Amen? First of all, it's accomplished something over heaven. Secondly, it's accomplished something over my heart. And thirdly, the blood has accomplished something over hell or over the powers of hell. It's opened up heaven. That's my acceptance. Amen? Sorry, it's opened up heaven. That's my access. It's cleansed my heart. That's my acceptance. Also, it's done something over hell. That is, it's silenced the accusations of the enemy. Amen. He can't say a thing against you when you plead the blood. And so I started off this message saying that the, the title, I think I should have said at the start, the title is simply this, qualified. Qualified. Walking in righteousness. What is it that qualifies us? Well, Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 to 13, I think we can probably get it on the screen this morning, Colossians 1. It says this, giving thanks to the Father who has, what's he done? Qualified us. Hallelujah. He's qualified me. He's qualified you to be what? A partaker. Wow. 
of the inheritance of the saints in light. That sounds pretty cool, pretty good. And look what else he's done. He has delivered us. Not he's going to, not he might do. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed, the King James says, he's translated us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. He's taken the penalty. He's taken the punishment. We are forgiven and he's qualified us. See, look throughout the Bible and you'll, you won't find anybody that was qualified and then God said, well, you're qualified, so I'll use you. Amen. Just have a look. I mean, it makes some of you chuckle because you're thinking about Noah. He was a drunkard. Abraham, he, he, he lied big time. Abraham, he was the worst of the worst. Jacob, well, he was a deceiver. His name even means deceiver. Leah, she wasn't qualified. She was a pretty. She wasn't as gorgeous as maybe other ladies. And then Isaiah, well, he preached naked. Don't ask me to do that. Paul was a murderer. David was an adulterer. All these things, not to justify these things because they to, these things had to be made right, but God is the God who makes them right. He does not wait for them to be perfect before he uses them. And so he's not waiting for us to be perfect before he uses us, amen? And so think about the blood, what the blood has done for us. First of all, it reaches up to heaven. Hebrews 10, verse 19 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Amen. Having therefore, brethren and sister, boldness to enter the holiest, that's the holy place, by the blood of Jesus. Amen. You remember the only person that could go into the holy place in the Old Testament was the high priest. Once a year to make atonement for the sins. And he went in with the blood and he sprinkled that blood in there to make an atonement for sins. But Jesus is our great high priest. He's entered into the holy place. So that now through him, we've got access. See, the holiest is a place in the heavenlies, yes, but it's also a place that we can access here on earth as we press into his presence. Come on, are you pressing into his presence? And as you press into his presence, I prophesy over you, doors will open, things will spring to life. You'll see dead things spring to life. You'll see major opportunities unfold before you, things that you never even thought possible as you press in to his presence, amen. Come on, have I got a few people here today that want to press into his presence? My little boy, Ryan, who's usually running about and getting Gareth to chase him on a Sunday morning, he's really funny. Kids have got different characteristics, haven't they? And when he sees Alex in his mom's arms or his mom's bows, bows, you know what a bows is? That's in your arms, for those of you who don't know. And as soon as Ryan sees Alex in his mom's arms or his mom's bows, he wants to get in there. He wants to get in between. He wants to press in. He's, he gets a bit jealous of Alex being in his mom's arms. So he, he finds some way to sort of like just leap over and, and sidle down and squeeze in between, press right in where Alex previously was because Ryan likes to press in. He likes to press in and then he's just flaked out all over Faye. Because Ryan's discovered there's a way I can press closer to mom. There's a way I can press closer to dad. I want to tell you, God loves when we press close to him. We honor him when we honor the blood. I like to say where the blood flows, the spirit goes. And where the spirit flows, the blood goes. Amen. I love this fact that I can press in. Maybe that's a word for somebody here this morning. You need to press in regardless of what the enemy has told you. You have access. It's done something in heaven. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, 
having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 23, let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Some translations say, let us not stand at a distance as if God was inaccessible. No wavering, no doubt. Know that the Father is eager to receive us. Amen. We've been granted access by the blood. Smith Wigglesworth said this, the Holy Spirit never brings condemnation. He always reveals the blood of Christ. There is not one thing in you that the blood cannot cleanse. Amen. Let me say that again. There is not one thing in you that the blood cannot cleanse. So we've been granted access. So the blood reaches up into heaven. But now in the New Testament, it reaches even into our hearts. Amen. And the Bible says that it sprinkles us from an evil conscience. Ephesians 1 verse 6 tells us that we are accepted in the beloved. And that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from an evil conscience. It means it cleanses and removes any sense of guilt and shame and unworthiness. It reaches into our hearts and cleanses. Have you ever had an instance where you spilt something on your carpet that was really pungent and you couldn't get rid of it? You cleaned it with the best cleaning products possible and you just couldn't get that smell out. You know, you've scrubbed it, you've had Dettol, you've had 1001 carpet remover, vanish soap. You've even made combinations of cleaning products to see if it'll work. And you scrub it and you think, it smells fresh, but then you walk down there in the morning. What's that smell? What's that smell? And the whiff, it's still there. It's still there because it hasn't been totally eradicated. Well, I want to tell you that the blood of Jesus, amen, in our lives totally eradicates sin, its effects, its smell, its presence, its everything. The blood of Jesus cleanses us completely. Amen. Praise the Lord. I like that truth myself. It does something in our hearts. It produces a righteousness consciousness. So there's no more nagging voice within. And folks, what I'm saying to you and to me this morning is I need to settle this thing 100% once and for all to understand that God views me this morning as 100% totally righteousness, righteous, blameless. I can press into his presence I can flow as a child of God knowing that I'm accepted. And as I begin to flow and live from that standpoint, sin dies a death in my life. I don't do the things that I wanted to do before because I love Jesus so much for uniting me to him, for giving me, for becoming my righteousness, for shedding his blood. And then when the old devil comes, which brings me to point number three, it does something over hell. It silences satanic accusation. The blood of Jesus silences the enemy. And in Revelation 12, 11, it tells us this, that they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. I want to tell you the blood is a weapon. When you get, the enemy gets on your case this week, the blood is your weapon. Say, I plead the blood of Jesus. I plead the blood of Jesus. You're not going to make it with your studies. I plead the blood of Jesus. I'm accepted in the beloved. I've got a head start on everybody else because I'm a covenant partner with Jesus. I'm washed in the blood. I can pray for that sick person and believe to see them healed. Not because I'm special, but because Jesus has made me special. His righteousness. And you see, this understanding will transform what a lot of preaching has taught us for so long and so often that we need to reach that place. I want to tell you this morning, church, walk confidently in his righteousness. 
walk confidently. You'll do God no greater honor than to do that. And I can imagine old Peter in the Gospels. You know, one of the saddest verses in the whole of the Bible, one of the saddest verses I've ever read was the verse in John chapter 21, I think it is. I can't get the exact verse for you, but it's when Peter feels like he's blown it. Peter denied Christ three times. And just over a week later, Jesus restored him. He didn't ask him to sit in the naughty step for five weeks. He didn't ask him to earn his way back into his favor. He just restored him. And when Peter knew that he'd blown it double deluxe style and, you know, denied his master three times, he says to his mates, I'm going fishing. What about you? We'll come with you. It's almost like one of the most depressing verses you can ever see. Here's Peter that was so, I'm going to follow you everywhere, Jesus. I'll do amazing things for you. I'll hold your bags. I'll walk with you. I'll, go, you know, I'll just be there for you, Jesus. When everybody else bails out, Jesus, you can count on me. And then a little girl comes and she said, are you with Jesus? Uh, no, no. And he even swears. He curses when he's speaking about Jesus. And you can imagine how he felt when it kicked in. I've denied Christ. And Jesus just restores this man so beautifully and wonderfully so that a few pages later in the book of Acts, we see the God who qualifies the disqualified. Peter, standing up with the 11, began to preach. And filled with the Holy Ghost, he began to tell them and preach the resurrection. The book of Acts has 10 sermons, five by Peter, five by Paul. Guess what they preach on every time? Jesus died, Jesus was buried, and Jesus rose again. It doesn't matter who they're preaching to or where they're preaching. That is the crux of their message. And Peter gets up and he preaches a belter. And he pulls in the net and 3,000 souls are in the net. See, God qualifies the disqualified. And a religious folk, snooty, said, who are these unlearned, ignorant fishermen? Oh, have you ever been called that before? I've probably been called it once or twice. But they took note that they had been with Jesus. That was the qualifying feature in their preaching. I want to tell you this morning, you're qualified. Make no mistake about it. You can step out of this place, go into this next week with a smile on your face and a spring in your step. I think I've said enough this morning. God qualifies the disqualified. And so, Father, this morning, we want to thank you for the gift of righteousness. We thank you that one day on Calvary's cross, thousands of years ago, You made your son to be sin for us. He was spotless and faultless. He had no crimes of his own, but yet he chose to voluntarily lay down his life for us so that today we might be made the righteousness of God through faith in him, faith in his blood. We thank you this morning, Father, that restoration of fellowship and favor has taken place in our lives. Because of that, Lord, we expect great things. We pray that this morning as we choose to respond by walking in that righteousness, that as we begin to do so, Lord, you will open up great doors before us, great opportunities, great blessings, Lord. We'll be able to serve you in new and mighty ways and give you the glory. Thank you, Lord, that you are the God who qualifies the disqualified. Maybe it is that you're sitting under the sound of my voice this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed and you just feel totally disqualified. 
self-condemnation, satanic accusation, and you feel like you're the world's worst this morning. I want to tell you, Jesus wants to lift you up. Change your thinking. I want to ask you, will you be brave enough to trust in him today? He was brave enough to go to the cross for you. One time I'm going to ask this this morning. Will you put your trust in him? Will you be included in a prayer that will take you straight to Christ? If you want to make that decision, I want you to be brave and just slip your hand up, take it straight back down again. Do we have one here this morning who just knows they need to pray that prayer? Bless you, I can see a hand going up. And maybe some of these, and another hand going up as well. Bless the Lord. And maybe some of these are recommitments. Maybe it's the first time you've trusted in Christ. Nobody's watching. This is not to do with who's sitting next to you or what anybody thinks. This is about you and God. Come on, is there somebody else here today that needs to make their peace with God? Just lift that hand, reach up, trust in Christ. If you reached, if you raised your hand, you want to be included in this prayer, let's all pray it together as a family, as these two people are welcomed into the family of God. God, I come to you in desperate need of forgiveness. I thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place. Thank you, Jesus, for shedding your blood. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. I believe that you died and rose again. And I put my trust in you. I put my faith in your blood. Wash me, cleanse me, make me whole. I turn from my sin and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. Amen. Amen. And amen. Come on, folks, let's hear it for Jesus, our Savior, this morning. And two people have responded through that prayer. And maybe you responded through the live stream and the Facebook Live today. We'd love to hear from you about how Jesus Christ has touched you this morning. For the rest of us, let's stand and let's believe that even as we close with this final song, that God's going to release something special. I want our prayer team to step forward at this moment in time. And I want to say to you that because of what Jesus has done at the cross, the need of sickness and disease has been met as well. And we serve a healing God. He can make you whole this morning. Come on, I'm speaking to depression this morning. I'm speaking to anxiety attacks. I'm speaking to painful hips and painful bones this morning. We're speaking to troubled minds this morning. We're speaking to diagnoses that have been made over lives that you've been told this will never change. We're speaking to hereditary conditions this morning that say your dad was like it, your mom was like it, your auntie was like it. We break that curse by the blood of Jesus this morning. We believe it right now and we're believing for it. And if you need prayer for anything today, whatever it might be, come on. This is a time for intimacy with God. Just you leave your chairs. While we're praying, just leave your chair and come to the front and God's going to touch you and God's going to meet your need. God bless you and thank you for listening so well.